Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. If you'd like to turn with me on your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And as you turn there, go back to Philippi with me. This city, and you're a follower of Jesus, you live in this city where the Apostle Paul came years before and he started a church in your city. We all live in Philippi now. And you came to know Jesus through the ministry of Paul. This letter to the Philippian, he loved the Philippian people. This letter was probably a later letter written not long before Paul was martyred, killed for his faith. He is writing to these people while he's incarcerated. Incarcerated, that's a big word. While he's in jail, probably in Rome, he is locked up for preaching the gospel. He is locked up as he had been many times. But this letter for the Philippian people tugged at their hearts because one of the times, one of the first times they met Paul, he got locked up in their city. And you remember, right, the story of the Philippian jailer who was going to take his life after Paul and the others. The gates were miraculously, the cell doors were miraculously opened. They all escaped prison. The jailer was going to take his own life because he knew he would get a death sentence for having allowed that thing that he could not stop when the Holy Spirit released them from prison. So the Philippian people knew and what this was like. They knew what it was like for their pastor to be locked up. They knew this great miracle. Their hearts were close to Paul. They loved him. And here he is incarcerated again and later in life, probably going to lose his life. And yet he's still telling them in this letter, I want to come back and see you. I love you so much. One of the great themes in this letter is joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He is is suffering for his faith in Jesus in jail. And he's writing a letter of encouragement to the church. If I were a pastor who thought I was going to lose my life relatively soon, what what would I want to say to you in a few chapters or in a letter that I would hurry up and write my most important things that the Holy Spirit put on my heart to tell you? And Paul's is... So, so here he is in jail. He's writing this letter and you say, Charlie, why are you taking so much time to do this? Because we're not going to preach through the whole book of Philippians and I only have two or three hours this morning to, to, to share this. Right. To share, right. So Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And before we quote Philippians 121 ever again in our lives, let's be really careful. Paul was torn. He was in prison. He knew he was going to be killed. And he says, I want to go home and be with Jesus, but so much I want to be here with you because I have so much more that I want to share with you. And he says, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We say amen and we should. We should be encouraged. But before I say that verse out loud again, other than reading it in the Bible, (laughs) I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be careful. I've never suffered for my faith like that. 
I've been ridiculed, mocked a few times, called Jesus freak, some other things you can't say in church, but really pales in comparison, does it not? And I think about the missionaries in our world and over throughout the ages who have given their lives for Jesus and they've died. They were investing in the future. We're going to talk about that this morning. So here is Paul. Here is Paul. Thank you, Anthony, for reading our scripture earlier. So Paul says, therefore, whenever we see that, we say, what is it there for? Because it's a continuation of chapter one. And we're going to see, he's going to talk about living in unity. Nobody in their right mind should preach these 11 verses in one sermon. So you're just going to get like a Cliff Notes version of this. You're getting a half hour sitcom when you should be watching a two hour movie. So go home and read some more later. But Paul says, if there's any encouragement, listen to the passion any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love. In the Greek language, and it's our first point here, he's saying, if there's any of these things going on, have this common understanding. In a Greek language, this idea of understanding is repeated two or three times in these first two verses. In, in the English language, we use a couple of different words for it. And it gives us an accurate meaning, it does. Sometimes it's just not an English word to match up with the Greek thought or the passion here. So anyway, number one, he says, we're going to see in these first couple of verses, if we're going to have unity as followers of Jesus, whether that's in our community, at Graffiti Church, we partner with other churches who preach the gospel, because we're not the only ones here who love Jesus. We have friends and we partner with them. If there's a gospel opportunity or a prayer walk, or somebody needs to be served and a church asks us to help, we will do it in Jesus' name. But then he's talking to this church at Philippi, so this group of followers of Jesus, just like us. And he says, he says, make my joy complete. He says, if you really want me to be joyful, remember, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. If you really want me to be joyful, he says, be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. These are called, in the word of God, these are called imperatives, and there's several imperatives in these next few verses. They're not suggestions. They're not things that Paul is saying, yeah, well, you know, you guys, it might be cool if y'all did this in your church. They're imperatives. He says, if we're going to have unity in our church, we have to do these things. He says, so make my joy complete. So next slide. This is my definition of unity. You can write it down. You can make fun of it. You can look it up in the dictionary and cross mine all out. But a group of people intentionally and purposefully going in the same direction, striving to attain a common goal. So if you come to church here and you say, well, pastor, I don't know what the goal of the church is. Then maybe you should fire me, right? Maybe you need a new pastor. Oh, Lord, he said it out loud. Well, what is our goal or what is your goal as a follower of Jesus Christ? Question mark. What do you think the goal of the church should be? Paul gives us the answer later on here, but certainly our goal is to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ with our community, with our friends and with the people with whom we work or go to school, to college campus, wherever it might be. But ultimately, our goal is to glorify God in all that we say and do. And I can say that part and sound religious and we could all still go home and feel good but not know what we're supposed to do, right? That's what I would do. So 
if at East Baltimore Graffiti Church, we're going to have unity, we're going to have to put some things down and pick some things up. And we're going to have to use that C word that none of us like. Man. Yeah, oh, oh. In my former church, my pastor said we weren't allowed to use that word. We had to use the word transition because church folk don't like change. Sometimes the pastor doesn't either. But here's what we're going to see in the next slide, okay? Paul says these four things, these four things here, he says, he says, I want you to have this mind, this attitude, and this is repeated. This is actually a theme in the first two chapters here. If you go back to 127 in my Bible, I don't even have to turn the page. Paul says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. There's the unity with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what we are called to do. That's who we are called to be as a church. So he's just continuing in chapter two. Remember chapter two, verse one, therefore, that's what it's there for. So, so there is this theme in Philippians. It's not... It is a theme of joy. Paul wants them to rejoice. But there's something about this unity. Was there disunity in this church? Um, there was. There were some, some people misbehaving in church. Oh my. I'm glad it doesn't happen here. They were cutting up. They were not acting right. There was some, there was some church folk getting after each other. Oh my, I'm glad that never happens here. So, so, but Paul says this unity goes so much deeper. The need is, the need revolves around the gospel. In 127, he says, conduct yourselves. So when I have a change of mind, or if you like the word attitude, that you can substitute that, right? Really, truthfully, some of your Bibles may say that. If I have a change of mind or a change of attitude, my behavior shall follow. If I tell you, and, and, and I stand here guilty, my friends. I stand here guilty. You know, um, new definition of integrity. I've changed my definition of integrity. There are several good ones. My new definition of integrity is do what you say you're going to do. Because you know why? Sometimes in my life, particularly in later years, in these later years, um, I have, much to my shame and embarrassment, I've been a person who will say things sometimes and then not don't. There's a good chance that if you go to church with me long enough, I may have let you down already. They say, what are you doing? Pastors don't talk about it. Yes, yes, pastors confess their sins too. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. Well, that's, you only get one today and that is it. But, but so if I have a change of heart, a change of mind, excuse me, or a change of attitude, uh, it should be coming out in my conduct. So Paul gives us these four things about we're to have a common understanding about how we love one another, um, about our spirit, little s, I probably capitalized, well, no, koinonia of the spirit. So this is the Holy Spirit. Listen, this idea of fellowship is not fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, but you can, you can bring some to the next fellowship. But it is the relationship that we share around our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Koinonia. The reason that you and I can love one another, the reason we can sometimes get mad and fuss and then confess our sins and still be friends and still stay in church is because of Jesus. By the way, that's how it's supposed to be. Get mad, get it right, and then move forward. I'm leaving that church. 
that that is not and by the way i'm not throwing any rocks i I have no i I have no knowledge of that happening happening here recently so not throwing any rocks and i'm being recorded so i have to behave today but he says he said this agape this love it revolves around our relationship with jesus christ this fellowship that we are to have with one another that keeps us together that keeps us from falling apart This unity, it revolves around our relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit residing in you is the same Holy Spirit that resides in me. How then can I treat you poorly, say or treat you a certain way other than what Jesus would have me do? And yet I probably did it this week to somebody, hopefully not anyone here. Yes. It revolves around the gospel. And then this idea of understanding. This was interesting. Um, this was interesting because you have this word understanding, but it's, there's two different words used for it here. Um, in verse 2, that word purpose at the end, united in spirit, that's little s, that's our spirits. We're united because of the Holy Spirit. I already said that. Little s, our spirits, united in this same love, maintaining the love intent on one purpose. He gave us that purpose in chapter 1, verse 27. Intent on one purpose. And then again, the the Greek word for that word purpose is understanding. So intent on this one understanding. So unity, it involves my mind. It involves loving one another it involves the holy spirit who will change our minds and it involves a sense of purpose that revolves around the gospel of jesus christ and our faith so we have to have this common understanding the next time you get mad with me you want to look at me and see a child of god see a brother in Christ, see someone with whom, even though you might want to slap me, you know that you have been called to love me anyway. Slap me or run. (laughs) Not as fast as I used to be. But so there are some things, but Paul says, these things are imperatives that we are to do and not to do here. Number two up there, we have joy killers and we have joy fillers. I know, I know, we do, we do. We have joy killers and we have joy. I, I, I thought I didn't copy that off anyone. I'm just saying. But let's talk about some joy killers here because Paul does, right? Verses three and four. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Verse four, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. I know, your own personal interests. You know, my pastor says to me sometimes when we talk about selfishness, he says, mm, I got minds. And you know what's real funny about it? He is more Caucasian than me. But he really is. So when he says it, it's extra humorous. But what he's saying is, he, we're talking about selfishness. He's saying, yep, yeah, got mine before you did, didn't I? Because in our humanity and in our fallen nature, that is our go-to. And because we still live in this, even though we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can still revert back and we can still be selfish towards one another. I'm going to get a bigger cake and a bigger pack of meat when I go to food pantry tomorrow morning because I'm going to be in front of you. (laughs) I'm going to get at the door at eight o'clock and none of y'all getting in front of me. 
No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Listen, Paul says here in the church as followers of Jesus Christ, these things ought not to be. So, joy killer, selfishness, fussing and fighting and vanity. Vanity. Who do you think you are looking at me, talking to me? That What? Have you lost your mind? Do you know who I am? We do this in church sometimes. We don't do it that rudely, right? Uh, I'm a deacon here. Excuse me. You, you, you're questioning me. I, I, I'm an elder in this church. You que- excuse me. What's your name? Paul says it ought not to be. These are imperatives. He's not suggesting that we be nice. He's telling us that for the sake of the gospel and for the, for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel and our faith, that these things can't happen in our church. And when they do, we need to deal with them properly. Amen. So we've got some joy killers, right? Selfishness, fussing and fighting, vanity. You know, in a Baptist, in a convention we're in, you know what we call that? Church planting. Yep. Yep. Some of y'all write it down. Some of y'all get that on the way home. But yeah, that's what we call that, right? Yep. I'm going to get four or five families and and we're mad at you, Pastor, and we're leaving. We're going to go start another church right around the corner so but but seriously paul says brothers and sisters these things ought not to be so he says don't be selfish but you see here's where selfishness selfishness fussing fighting that vanity um that take care of me first it comes from in here and here see and and even with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're still living in this. So I am still subject to fighting against this. I better be fighting. It's going to happen. I better be ready to fight against it. Or I better be ready to confess it to you and stop the fight before it starts. Brother, the way I spoke to you, I was out of line and, and I'm just sorry. It hadn't been too long ago. I said that to a couple church members because I was out of line. And because my heart wasn't right, my mind wasn't right, and it came out in my behavior. I mean, that's a pretty simple process, right? So Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he is, without saying it, we need a different mind. You know, I can't help myself. I was going to let it go, but, but I'm not going to today in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we talk about this a lot and celebrate recovery. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, excuse me, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how you and I will prove what the will of God is. He says here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. So it starts here and it starts here, right? He says, I need a change of attitude. Need a change of attitude. Why? Because it's a joy killer and a unity killer in my church. I won't just kill my joy. I'll kill yours if my heart's not right. And I'm just going to confess to you again, I know twice in one day, he better stop, that, that my mind hasn't been right some days lately. I've been, I have been taxed in my mind and emotionally. I could blame it on the devil, but James says, no, it's on me, right? Um, it's me living in this. And, and I have not done well some days, very, very, some days this past week, I did not do well in my attitude, my words, or my behavior. So that's a joy killer. 
I'm going to be accountable for that. You're a follower of Jesus and I'm your pastor and I kill your joy. Jesus and Jesus is going to have a little talk with me about that. You go around killing somebody else's joy in the church. Jesus might pull you up too. joy killers, man. Man, that's no fun, right? Here, but this is better. How about some joy fillers? I like joy fillers, don't you? Listen, joy fillers aren't always easy either, but they work. I promise you they work. So he says, but with humility of mind. So now, oh my, have this mind, what is in Christ Jesus, change your mind, a renewing of your mind, but with humility of mind. Humility says, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to be quiet before I open my mouth. I'm going to think before I speak. I'm going to think about what your needs might be before I think about what my needs might be. Humility of mind. There are other people in this world who might have a greater need today than I do. Oh my, is that really true? We live in the United States of America. We live in a very individualistic society where I have rights and privileges. And don't you dare step on my rights and my privileges. And look, some of that is good stuff. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. But I have rights and I have privileges. And if you do anything to them, if you cross my boundaries at all, I'm coming for you. That's, what, that's, that's the mindset sometimes. It shouldn't be for followers of Jesus Christ in our country sometimes. So what do we do about this? I have humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. So there's something I'm going to do that's a joy filler. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to put others first. That doesn't mean I ignore my needs. That doesn't mean I'm a doormat and let people take advantage of me. That doesn't mean you allow people in your life to abuse you. Boundaries are healthy. Diane and I have about 12 books to read about that because it takes me that long to understand it. That we are to have boundaries in our life. We don't let people take advantage. God's not saying that here. But he's saying that some days, I, if I'm walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, God's going to give me a divine opportunity to see that you have a need and I'm going to stop what I'm doing. Because God has said so. Sometimes God might call you to meet that need and I need to take a step back, right? So see, there is this thing called walking in the spirit. There is this thing about unity that when we are in unity, we will do these things well. So putting others first, and he says it here in verse four, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So serving others. Look, we're getting it. We're getting it. We are called. We say that a lot here at Graffiti, right? A church that serves. And we do serve others in our community. And and I am very proud of our church in the healthy manner of being proud that we do. We do serve our community, individuals and families. A reporter asked me at the fall festival last week. She said, what would you say to people who said who would say it's it's ridiculous for a church to spend all its resources doing stuff like this. I said, what kind of, what do you mean? So, you know, giving out, giving out codes, buying, you know, all this food. And, and I said, oh my goodness. I said, um, it's one of the great thrills for our church that we trust God to meet our needs because we're going to meet the needs of others for the glory of God and faith in Jesus first, first. First, 
then we'll take care of our needs too. So in the middle of a building renovation project, when the pastor's about to lose his mind, and he comes in and there's three rooms in the church full of clothes and coats all over the place, instead of whining like a baby. Huh? Good word. Good word. Instead of whining, he needed to have an attitude that said there's coats all over the floor because we served people last Saturday. But your pastor didn't have the right attitude when he saw the coats and clothing and kid stuff all over the floor and all over the rooms because he's a sinner. So don't look out just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Then you and I will have joy in our own lives as we serve others sacrificially. That's where it comes. So then we got joy killers. We got joy fillers, right? Number three, thinking like Jesus. Thinking like, oh, no, we can't have that in the church. Oh, no, right? Upside down Jesus. Jesus always is sticking the big wrench in the wheel of my bike when I'm going down the hill. Jesus. Jesus messed with people's minds back in the day, and he still does. He says, no, don't, don't hate your enemy. Love your enemy. What? Come on, Jesus. Give me a break. But what do we see here then in verses 5 through 8? So have this attitude, this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we have the understanding from verses 1. Now we know what that mind is supposed to be. That's a tall order. We can't do that on our own. I can't just flip the switch. I tried. I had a bad attitude all week. I tried. It's like that broken breaker in an electric box, man. It just kept going back. Why? Because my heart wasn't right. So he says, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we get a few clues. Um, we get a few clues. We're going to put some things down now and pick some things up. Okay. Next slide. Here's some things I need to put down. This is a very un-American statement. I am going to put down my rights to myself. I'm going to put down my rights to myself. Even if uh, someone doesn't do what I think they should do, even if I care for someone and they don't want me to care for them, even if I, I guess it is a sacrificial act of love and someone just like throws it on the ground or spits in your face, I said, putting down my rights to myself. Sometimes we will be called to give up some, some pleasures, some comforts, some things that we really enjoy. Oh, pastor, you have really stepped in it now. This is very, very un-American because I have been taught to go to work, work hard, get my money, get mines, get my house, get my car. And then, you know, and then maybe, you know, maybe someday, someday when everything's chill, me and God will we'll work it out. No. See, I had to give up some of my rights to myself sometimes. Yes. I'm not going to fill that blank in for you. I'm not even going to tell any stories. I, I, I think, um, I, I just think I'm not going to today. But I have to put down my rights to myself. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. Um, I used to tell a story about a kid, a kid at Washington Bible College. He was half my age. And um, so I don't know how we got on the topic, but in class, he was on a basketball team. And his nickname was Mayo. And the professor said, why do they call you Mayo? He said, because I'm soft and I'm white. <laughs> and I say that sometimes. 
I get soft in my old age. I like my comforts. Don't ask me to give too many of them up in one day or one week. Jesus says, the word of God, Paul is calling us here sometimes, sometimes, because although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus laid aside the privileges of being in heaven with the Father for a short time. Jesus willingly laid aside some things. He put some things down because he was coming here, one, because the Father asked him to, and he was going to model love and obedience for you and me. He was modeling love of the Father, obedience to the Father, and even though he was equal with God, he chose to come and do that anyway. Because you and I need to see Jesus model that for us. Paul saying, remember, here's what that attitude or that mind looks like. One, it looks like sometimes, just like Jesus, I have to put down some things that I think are my rights to myself. Then, now, I'm really going um, really to offend some folks. Well, not here, just folks who are listening, right, online. But I had to put down some of my ways of thinking. I have the, the t-shirt that says, it's all about me. Some days I get up, you might not see it, but I put it on. And man, you know what? It's easy for me. I have to put down, see, a change in attitude requires a change in thinking. A change in thinking will require a change in attitude if it's going to be a long-term thing. Because it's going to come out in my behavior. I can say all day long, I want to change my way of thinking. And I've been wrestling with some things for a while and they haven't changed, and it's because sometimes I'm disobedient. I, it sounds good on Sunday morning, even to the preacher, but Monday morning is hard to do. And then I have to put down sometimes my position. Jesus did that. He laid it aside. He came, he limited himself to a human body. I can't imagine that if I was Jesus. That may not have been the first thing on my list, but that's why I'm not Jesus. No. So there's some things I've got to put down. If I'm going to have this mind that was in like Jesus, he emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's that word we don't like again. By, being, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So there are some things I need to pick up as uh, the word of God calls me here. Put them down and pick them up. If if you take something out of your life, and I learned this in recovery, and I put something down and take something unhealthy out of my life, I need to replace it with something healthy. Pastor needs to take his own medicine when he goes home today. One of y'all need to call me tomorrow and say, Pastor, remember what you preached yesterday? Yes. So, so, so there are some things. Servanthood is one of them. Jesus came to serve. We took communion this morning. I didn't plan it that way. It just happened. No, it didn't. That, that Jesus modeled that servanthood and obedience to the Father. What would I be? Well, um, what does the Gospel of John say? But even for a good man, who would dare to die? You know, you love those old, I love, the war, I love the war movies, right? And I love the war movies where the hero like dies and saves his whole unit. There's a friend of mine, he's been on, he went on to be with the Lord. His name was Garrett Peck. He was in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. And when I was in college, I had to interview people. I had to interview people. Um, I had to interview two American heroes, and one of them was um, an African American lady who became a marine biologist and went to VCU when it was an all uh, African American women's college. 
And in her late 60s, early 70s, I interviewed her. She's an American hero. The other was Garrett Peck, Vietnam War veteran and hero, who under gunfire, uh, he, was, he, he, he was safe behind something, and his guys were being shot up. The sergeant was shot. Two other guys were killed. He crawled back out in the gunfire and dragged three of the other soldiers back to safety and took like a couple shots. Uh, he was shot in the leg a couple times when he did it. And true story, he was put in for the Medal of Honor and where they kept all those records, I don't remember which city it was, town, but it got blew up, it got blown up, blown up in, in an explosion. And all those records were blown up with it and my friend never got his Medal of Honor. He didn't care. So you know what happened 25 years later? His son, from listening to his dad, this is all before his son was born, of course, right? His son, listening to war stories from his dad, figured out that his dad had been put in for a Medal of Honor. And he went to the Marine Corps, and he went to the federal government, and he dug through those records. And then I saw it on a VHS videotape. And I, but I saw the ceremony. So 20-some, 30, maybe it was 30 years later, it had to be 30 years later, on the Marine Corps birthday in Washington, D.C., Garrett Peck, the hero, got his Medal of Honor. And guess who pinned it on him? His son. His son. But you see, we love those stories, right? We love, we love those stories, servanthood. And who, for whom am I willing to give it up? That's a hard question. It might be for a complete stranger. It might be a sacrificial act of love. It might be giving something up. You fill in the blank. And then another, identifying with the hearts, <laughs> identifying with the hearts, habits, hurts, and hangups of others. That was supposed to say um, hurts, habits, and hangups. Yeah, identifying with the hearts of others. Identify, I got a small print here. I need to look up there. Identifying with the hearts of others. People have hurts, habits, and hangups in their lives, and they might strike out at you. They might be having a bad day. I used to on Greenmount Avenue. I always made it my I always made it my mission if I was out and about. I looked people in the eye and said, Good morning, good afternoon, how are you today? Occasionally I might get a not so pleasant response from someone. And you know, sometimes you can get a little added, I'm out here being a nice guy. What's wrong? And, and I I had prayed about it and got it already in the spirit. I, I this is when I actually did well. That regardless, someone, they said some things I can't say to you. And in my flesh, I've almost found it humorous, right? Very rarely did I ever get mad. But someone was having a bad day. You know, they, they might have been, uh, and people have been, and I know this, uh, dope sick. It's a dude looking at me for, what's wrong with him? I'm hurting, man. I'm hungry. I'm mad. I don't have nowhere to go tonight. He don't know nothing about me. I need to remember those things so I can identify with the hearts of others in my community. And that's not everybody's hurt. Some people's are invisible, so don't misunderstand me. I don't want to mischaracterize my community. Some people have hurts, habits, and hangups that you would never see because y'all are pretty on the outside. And you get up and go to school and go to work, and everybody's getting up and doing their thing, going to bus stop, going to school, and, and you make it look good. We make it look good. Some of the hurts, habits, and hangups don't show up on the outside. So I need to identify with that. I need to remember that when I think about how I'm going to treat you. By the way, this, this needs to happen at home, too, for this guy first. So don't y'all even think about it. That was for me. Obedience. I need to pick up obedience. Jesus obeyed the Father. 
Jesus, Jesus obeyed the mission, the, the, the mission that his father gave him, and it cost him his life. Obedience and suffering. Let's talk about, we talked about Paul in the beginning, right? We talked about in that first chapter of Philippians, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to go back there again. But here is this guy, he has been beaten, stoned, taken out of the city and hit with big rocks till he stopped moving and he lived. They had to lower him over walls and baskets. They threw him in jail. They beat him and his friends with sticks and everything they could get their hands on. And now he's in jail all for what? For telling people that Jesus loves them. That's what, that's what. Sometimes we need to be prepared to suffer. We don't have to yet for the, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've been through. If you have suffered for the sake of your faith, you may, you may well have. I had, I had children in my youth ministry. They, they came to know Jesus, teenagers, and they were going home to a house where Jesus and God were not honored. And a couple of homes, they weren't allowed to speak of it in their home, or they might get the back of a hand. And they said, Pastor, how do I do this? I said, you honor your mother and father, because that's what Jesus, man, is that a hard message for a 16-year-old? Your parents don't know Jesus. You're not allowed to tell them. And you still need to honor your mom and dad because that's what God says to do. That's hard. That's suffering. I had kids, kids in my youth ministry suffered for Jesus more than I ever did. My daddy loves Jesus. Amen. I have a daddy who loves Jesus. So some things we got to put down, some things we've got to pick up. And it's hard. Sometimes these things that we're supposed to pick up don't come easy. Number four, why do we do it? Number four, verses nine through 11. Now, we are not Jesus. Write that down. We are not Jesus, but, but for God's glory in verses nine through 11, two things. One, living in light of eternity. I, Charlie, must learn to live in light of eternity. So if I experience a little suffering, most likely for me at my age, it'll probably just be some discomfort, some pleasures or comforts that I like in my life that God might call me to give up in order to better serve him and love my community. Living in light of eternity says, for now, I'm going to express a little delayed gratification. Oh my, we don't like that either. We, don't, we used to tell that. Your parents ever say that to you? Don't spend all your money. Save your money. Delayed gratification. I was not a saver, y'all. I was not a saver. Mm-mm. If I got paid on Friday, y'all wanted to hang out with me. I wasn't sa- No. Delayed gratification. He says... But here's what happened. For this reason, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone is going to do that someday. Some of them are going to do that prior to their departure into eternal separation from God. I don't want that to happen to anyone that I know or care about. So, for the glory of God, sometimes delayed gratification, living in light of eternity says, I care more about someone's eternal state of being than I care about what I want today. I don't know. But it is true, right? It's for God's glory to the glory of God the Father. 
That sounds religious and it sounds churchified, but it really is. If you and I strive for unity in our church, if we love one another, if we stop fussing, we put some things down, pick some other things up. If you and I can do this for an extended period of time here as brothers and sisters who love and care for one another, watch this. As a group, we will glorify God. And as individuals, you will have, you will have joy filled up in your life because you are living in obedience to Jesus. Nothing glorifies God more than when church folk get along. All the jokes, I know. People expect us. They're waiting. They're waiting, right? Yes. Joy fillers and joy killers. I had to put some things down and pick some things up. You know what that is for you. I, don't, I'm, I would not even pretend to try to tell you because I don't know you well enough. I know what they are for me, amen? Amen. 